Ashley. Most people call me Colby because there's a million Ashleys, um, especially if you know me from campus. Closer? Okay. Is this weird, Tim? Okay. So um, I was asked by me to give my testimony today, but I'm really nervous. So if you could laugh at all my jokes, it will make me feel better. Um, so growing up, I knew that when you died, you went to heaven, and God was the boss of things up there. But that was about it. And we only talked about God on Christmas and when somebody died. So um, that was how I grew up. Um, and I was a daddy's girl from the very, very beginning. And that really kept me grounded through a kind of a rough childhood for all intents and purposes. It was uh, full of death and addiction. And um, my family really counted on lies and manipulations to hold us all together. I remember lots of fake smiles and secret resentment. Um, but lots of dabbles of happiness, too. I thought I was a really happy kid, just with a different sense of normal than everybody else. Um, my mom was an undiagnosed manic depressive for most of my life. I've moved nine times. I've had step-siblings and step-dads. And uh, I was abused and neglected. And I thought that uh, parents' love really needed to be earned and maintained. Um, as I've grown, I really... I realized I, I didn't want that life for myself, but I also felt really guilty about that. Who am I to want something more than what I've known my whole life? Who am I to want something more than the love I've been shown by my family? Because my family loves me. Um, so my great-grandmother was really isolated from everyone but me after my grandfather died, so either through divorce or through death or through just awkward conversations. I was the only one that would talk to her, and she introduced me to the idea of God by taking me to this church called Riverside, and um, that was a lot like what Mike Denius was talking about. It was all about the rock worship band. We'd have people come in, you know, like Mercy Me would come in one Sunday and you would have no idea. And that's where all the money went. And um, so it was a great church for that, but it wasn't about getting deep in the roots of things. Um, so I went off to, to college last year, and I at this point was like, well, maybe the J-Man is where I need to go. And uh, I was thinking about joining crew or InterVarsity on SIUE. I had no idea that ACB was a thing. Sounds like a frat or something. Um, but I saw uh, I was also, like, struggling against the idea of college that you see in the movies, the hookups and the drugs and the alcohol, and I was like, well, I know I don't want that, but I still want to have fun. And it was about that time that I saw chalk drawing for the RBK, and uh, I was like, yes. Um, so that night came, and Michael Gill comes out of nowhere in his cowboy boots. You can picture it. Just, I remember looking at my friends and saying, like, this guy's more intense than I am. 
let's do this. And uh, so I sit in Starbucks with Kelsey Anderson, and uh, we talk for like an hour before even going, and she stays by my side all night long, and it was great, and we danced to fun, and what, like three or four songs? Something like that. And uh, it was shortly thereafter that I think I started studying. It wasn't long between uh, Kelsey and Nicole teaching me. Um, but it did not go well. If that's an understatement of the year. Um, I would like to say that it's because I didn't have a good support system. Because every time I left the presence of the church, it would have people in my life that are like, ACB, are you sure about that? Have you heard? Have you heard? And then, you know, I have family that's like, you went off to college and joined a church? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, school and pleasing my dad, I wasn't about to give that up at all. Um, I'm looking at Kelsey and laughing because so many arguments. Um, I... I had these thoughts swirling, like, who are these people to say that school and living comfortable would not be complete without this God guy in it? Who are these people to challenge my people-pleasing nature? What is wrong with that? Who are these people to challenge my attachment to my dad? That's none of their business. Who are these people? Period. Like, what is this? When did I get to this point? And I left. Um, I don't know how long I was gone, but it wasn't long. Um because I knew I needed God in my life, but I didn't know how to go about doing that. So I came back, and I asked if we could start the studies over again. It's probably one of my more humble moments, because I had to admit that I was wrong, and that I was thinking wrong, and that I needed to come back to this with an open heart. And I got baptized February 15th last year. And, uh, but for about eight months following that, my relationship with God depended on how I was feeling. Were things going right or were they going wrong? And if they were going wrong, why was God forsaking me? Why was I not in his good graces? I was trying to do everything right. Um, and I had very selfish thoughts of, why do I have to give things up? Why do I have to spend every Sunday busy? Why do I have to spend every Thursday busy? Why am I always busy? Don't have time for school. The only thing that's important. And um, so it was about last November, this past one, I switched girl groups and I went to the ladies retreat all in the same week, I think. And um, that ladies retreat really kicked my butt. It's an understatement too. Um, it was all about how we are all equal and how all of these women in this church are a unit together, struggling together, trying to be the most Christ-like women possible. And I was like, whoa, okay. So these people don't look down at me for not being perfect. And why I thought that way in the first place is to be determined. Um, but... I just realized that no one has them together, 
And I knew things had to change for me because I was not being the Christ-like woman that I wanted to be, that I read about in the Bible. And so I surrendered, finally. I mean, I got baptized, and then I surrendered. Look at that. And um, so the I'm not the most poetic person, so what you're about to hear is been on lyrics, but uh, I describe it to people as I gave it all to him that day, and it was like feeling the wind for the first time. I walked away with my eyes wide open. I felt like I finally had goals. I could see where I was going. It didn't matter where I'd been because I wasn't the same woman as I was before, and that's good. That was the goal. Um, since then, I've got off track, <laughs> made mistakes. I've backslid into this place where people get lost and uh, lines get crossed with people, boundaries, and that pain tries to consume you again. Um, and I just hit my knees, but here I stand <laughs> in front of everybody. Um, so that's where I was, and now here I am, and I'm I'm changed, and that's by the grace of God. Um, today, my family dynamics have changed. Talk of God is now commonplace in my household. Not normal, but it, they know when Ashley comes home, it's probably going to happen. Um, and uh, I try to be the light for the people around me, because feeling lost and alone is the worst trick that the devil plays. So I feel like God really puts it in me to help those that feel alone, um, I have a massive family abort thing right in front of me that I'm avoiding eye contact with. And uh, so don't get me wrong, I still struggle to understand God's grace every day. I don't get it. I don't get how he loves me. But it's not up to me to figure it out. I'm just supposed to believe it. And uh, those feelings of abandonment, if I don't measure up, still try to consume me. But I, I don't let them. I hand them over to God because they're not mine. And uh, I find the truest peace when I trust him with things to take care of me. Because how can I ever fail if he's my right hand with family like this behind him, too? morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be together. My name's Tim, if you don't know who I am. And um, thank you, Ashley, for uh, sharing your story this morning. I wanted to start the service that way on purpose, because we're, we're, we've been talking about being managers or being stewards, uh, about being uh, this whole idea of, of stewardship. And it's so easy to get, get caught up in uh, stewardship being just about money, kind of like that bag of money over there. Don't you wish you had that much? And um, and yet and yet uh, stewardship is so is about so much more than um, than money than finances. Uh, it's it's about everything. How you manage everything. You look here on the stage. There's so many things that we've already talked about uh, in this series. We've talked about our, managing our time, and it's stuck on 11:55. That's nice. Uh, that's what we want. We've talked about taking care of our pets. I mean, I mean, uh, no, that's about being a shark. I'm sorry. We're talking about the idea of really being aggressive with using our talents uh, for the Lord 
and not just for ourselves. Uh, we've uh, talked about the treasures in our life. The Bible talks about we should, we should um, take care of our treasures, manage our treasures well. And then um, there's this. And uh, last week, Mike uh, Danius uh, shared with us how to, bring, uh, how to bring God into our home and how we're really responsible and God wants us to manage our home. And a uh, wonderful lesson. I heard nothing but uh, compliment after compliment and encouragement from that. What I thought was interesting is I heard people who, like me, are empty nesters. We're still wanting to raise our children because uh, they still belong to us in a way. You know, we're still looking after them. They're the Lord's. But that we're, we're, we're making that kind of commitment, even as, as uh, parents of kids that are gone or grandparents, that we want to dedicate them to the Lord. Then you have people who have kids already at home, you know, already got kids. And, and I, listened, I watched or I read a lot of the comments you made that had this renewed commitment to really getting back to making sure my family is, that God's in the house, that God's in the home. And then, of course, many of you who are single or, or you have no children yet, just that, I, that, that commitment to being that parent and bringing Christ and, and God into your home, whether you have kids or not. Um, it was just really cool to see that uh, throughout all of your response cards. And by the way, if this is your first time here, that response card is in your bulletin. And after we get through, uh, after I get done, you're going to be able to write on that response card, maybe a decision you've made or a prayer request. And what we do is we take those cards, collect those cards. They're distributed to our prayer ministry. I don't even know who's in our prayer ministry, but they're sitting in this crowd. And they're dedicated to bringing what your needs are to the throne of God. They're not, de- they're not interested in telling somebody else, hey, did you read about this? So your, your, your prayer requests are safe and, uh, and they, they're, they're actually brought to God on a daily basis. And so take advantage of that this morning if you'd like. And again, if you're a first-time guest, just relax. I'm glad you're here. We know there's other places you could have t- attended, but somehow you and God have selected here today. And we pray you'll be blessed uh, by uh, by what we do here this morning. Got a card here uh, from Bob and and uh, Janet Bader, and, and it says, uh, Bob and I would like to thank everyone for all the prayers, visits, cards, food, lots of food, you know. Uh, when Bob uh, had surgery and during his recovery time, we are blessed to have a church family that loves us. And, you know, Bob and Janet, where are you guys? Would you stand up. There's Bob and Janet there. Bob had heart surgery. There you go. Bob had heart surgery. They repaired a valve in his heart in a new, sophisticated way. And they drilled a hole in his side and went in that way, which I don't understand. And he was quick to show me, you know, in the middle of Applebee's, look at that. Look what they did to me. (laughs) I pushed my plate away. (laughs) But uh, it's great to see he's been playing golf and and playing better. So I recommend heart surgery. I'm sure he would. It'd take a few strokes off your game, maybe, you know, I don't know. Wow, yeah, wow. <laughs> oh, are we already going downhill? Um, good to be together today, and uh, God bless you for being here. Uh, again, I want to say again, thanks to Mike and Gary for, for preaching some. You may be thinking, why, why, why you, you seem like you're preaching less, Tim. Well, I'm doing it because I want to preach a little less and give some other guys a chance to encourage us as a church and and don't worry, I'm not. I hopefully not going anywhere. The home office hasn't called yet, and so we're you know we're okay. 
But, uh, you know, it's good to have, hear some other people. And, and uh, I, I know that uh, different age groups uh, refer to things differently than mine. I mean, Danny gave away some time, you know, our time capsule uh, with the top value stamps that we used to save. And uh, it was a Sony cassette. And in that day, it was state of the art. Uh, a cassette, which some of you don't know, is a small device that you put recordings on. And um, if you ever watch regular show, there's an episode where a cassette is in it. That'll help you. Okay. Um, where did that come from? We're, we're talking about uh, stewardship today. And, and again, today I want to talk about really being a steward of your story. You might say your story. Yeah, I'm talking about your story. Look at this passage up on the screen here. This is our very first passage. This is our hinge pin for the whole series. It says, the earth belongs to God. Everything in all the world is his. God owns it all. You may think you own it. I know sometimes I think I own it. But really, it's on loan. You know, it's on loan from God. You don't own anything. How do you know that? When you die, you don't take anything with you. It stays right here for someone else. And so everything belongs to God. And when we talk about being under new management, we're talking about a change of ownership. And if you've ever been a part of a company that's changed ownership or management, in fact, has anybody been a part of a company where they've changed owners or managers? Raise your hands. Good night. gets different, doesn't it? When they change, sometimes they they remodel the place. They definitely remodel procedures and and do things a little differently. And And they're doing these things to please the owner at that moment. Now, if you are, if you were to somehow decide, well, I'm going to do things differently than the owner wants, what, you th- what do you think is going to happen to you? You're probably you're going to get reprimanded or possibly fired. And, and that's because the owner may have a different view of what you have. And so as, as we work for people, we realize I have to, in some way, find out what does the owner want and seek to fulfill his desires. So the same is true with God. God owns everything. Therefore, does God have a will and a desire for the things that you and I have? Things like our money, maybe his presence in our home, our family, maybe our, our talents and abilities, or maybe our time. Yes, he has. And we've been learning that in stewardship. In fact, stewardship is when I understand stewardship, really understand it, I realize I'm using God's things to complete his mission or his desires. That's really all about that, not my stuff. It's not my stuff, it's his. And just like we learned as kids, when we borrowed somebody's stuff, we were to bring it back or take care of it, not to tear it up. We learned that we're to do the same thing. There's, that's stewardship as a child. Well, as adults, we learn that God gives us everything and he wants us to be good stewards of that. And that includes your story. What are you talking about, Tim? I'm talking about your testimony. Ashley just gave hers. We, I wanted her to start the services off with her testimony. And she explained what her life was like and how it's different today. We all have a story. You have a story. Now, not everybody in this room listened to Ashley. How do you know that, Tim? Because not everybody in this room listens to me. And I know that some of us were clicking on our cell phones or looking at our iPads. And even though we looked like we were looking at Scripture, we were checking something out maybe on YouTube or possibly on eBay. Heaven forbid. Or maybe we're thinking about what we're doing this afternoon or this week or hurry up, let's get done. Not everybody's going to listen to your story. Just like you're not going to, some of you didn't listen or did listen to Ashley. That's going to happen to you too. And it doesn't matter. You have a story and it must be told. It doesn't matter if everybody listens to it. 
It doesn't matter if everybody responds to it. What matters is God gave you a story and He wants you to be a steward of it. That's important to remember. Because a lot of times when we're talking about giving our testimony, maybe you think of an old courtroom. So-and-so, come up here. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, stuff of God? Yeah. And you think testimony is scary. I've been in a court where they've asked me to do some testifying. And I went, I'm about to testify. And now they said, no, that's not what you're supposed to do, Tim. You sit down. And, it, what it, and, and I gave them my version of what I saw, what I heard. And maybe testimony doesn't necessarily do a courtroom. Maybe it's a religious testimony that's very emotional and a lot of hallelujahs. And you don't know what they're saying half the time. And you're thinking, I'm not doing that. Well, let me tell you, when the Bible talks about testifying or giving a testimony, it's simply telling your story. Simply just saying, this is what's happened to me. And it's a simple three minutes sometimes, five minutes. I mean, I ask you, let me ask you, if somebody asked you, asked you why do you go to church at Greater Alton or, or why you are, you are a Christian, could you answer that question? You know, uh, last August, we looked at a passage in Acts 26. We're going to look at it again in a section of this sermon. And in that lesson last August, we looked at the Apostle Paul in Acts 26. And when we read Acts 26, which gave his story, his side of the story to King Agrippa, it took three minutes. If you had three minutes to tell someone, this is why I'm a Christian, this is why I go to church, what would you say? Everybody has a story. You have a story. Well, I don't like the Apostle Paul's. It's got like buttons and whistles. And it's, it's spectacular lightning striking voices from heaven. People crashing on the ground. I got nothing like that. How can I compete with that? You're not to compete with that. Some people have a, a story like that. And some people, frankly, don't. But both need to be heard. Why? Because it's about what God has done in your life. The Apostle Paul told his story Many times. Look here. Look at this passage here. It's on your notes, maybe up on the screen here. Look at Acts 20. It says, he says this about his story. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling, in other words, testifying too, telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. What's he saying? He says, you know, I know I have a story and God wants me to, say, to tell it. It's connected to the gospel. It's about the, the kindness and love of God in my life. How God has been kind and loving to me. And you know, that's good news, church. In a world right now that's so, so uneasy and unrest, oh, it needs some good news from its people. Some reassurance. I've got a storybook here that I'm, I'm it's, a, it's a book by John Wayne or on John Wayne. Denise gave it to me. And I think Danny's got a copy, too. We got it in Atlanta when we were down there watching the ballet. I'd make, that was good to offset what I saw. You know. Well, Pilgrim, thank you, John. You know, but it's a, it's a story. It's, 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 a, it's a biography, a short one of his life as an actor as a, as a Republican, as a good Republican, and as, the, as a, just a nice you know, uh, man and what he did. But it also shares the ups and downs of his life, the tragedy in his life, uh, the, the marriages that failed, and the, and the kids that he had, and, 
and the money that he made and the cancer that eventually did him in. Um, everybody has a story. You know, Denise goes, I know you'd like to read a story about John Wayne. And I go, that's true. That makes sense. You know, and, you know, some celebrity, you want to know the story. I mean, that makes sense. But nobody wants to hear my story. And I, I want to tell you this morning, there is somebody that's supposed to hear your story. There's somebody on this planet. My story won't work. The person next to you, their story isn't going to do much. It's your story. What God has done in your life and what God wants to do in your life that may make the difference in theirs. Now, I want to say this before we get into this idea about what is it that makes a good testimony and look at all this again. We just all need to relax oh, a little bit here. Because this is your story, not somebody else's. You don't have to embellish it. You don't have to exaggerate it. You don't have to hide anything from it. You need to use this story. Be, be grateful that God has given you this story. It may not have a lot of, but, you know, lots of exciting things in there, so don't try to spruce it up. Just let it be the this, this story God has given you. And I, I want you to know, I want to reassure you this morning, God wants to use it, and He will use it. If you'll just relax and trust Him and let Him help you with it. Why should you share your story? Why should I share my story? Why should we as a church share our testimony or our story with people? Well, let me give you three reasons here. The first one is because God, the Bible says, I'm to take care of my story. God wants me to tell it, and He wants me to manage it. He wants me to be a steward of it. Look at what the Bible says here. It says here, this is Peter saying, this one of the apostles, is instead, he says, you must worship Christ as Lord in your life, and if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Now, does that include Scripture? It can. But when you're describing hope in your life, you may find, you know what, it gives me an opportunity to talk about, to brag about what God is doing. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. Why do you have this hope? Well, if it was dependent on you and I to have this hope, it, we wouldn't have it. No, it comes from God. And he says, be ready. Be prepared. Like a steward, like a manager. Manage it. The second, the second reason is because God can use my story to spread the good news. He can use my story to spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. There's a great story in Mark 5 and in Luke 8 about a demon-possessed man. You probably, when you put those stories, those two stories together, you get this idea that this man, well, he, he was so crazy, so socially disconnected from his town, they, they send him to the cemetery, perhaps chaining him to a tombstone. It says chains couldn't hold him. You know, they could hear, from the town, I can imagine them hearing him Screaming and hollering and yelling at the stars at night. You know, right now the spring has come. The windows are beginning to come up. And now the screens are letting in all this fresh air along with every dog bark that you can imagine. I have a neighbor that has three dogs now. I wish he'd have stopped at none. This do these dogs bark and bark all night. Okay? I think he took the vocal cords out of one of them. But the other two... Still need some work. And, you know, and, 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 and you know how annoying that can be. Well, imagine here you are in this town and you hear this crazy guy howling, screaming. He cuts himself. 
Doesn't sound like a very good story, does it? It's not a good story. Then Jesus comes along. And then the story takes a turn. And the Bible says that when, when he got through with this guy, he called himself Legion, cast all these demons into pigs, and they went off a cliff. It got everybody's attention. Out of town they come to the cemetery. And what do they see? They see Jesus sitting with this demon-possessed man. And I love this part of the passage. It says, and he was in his right mind. After he'd been with Jesus, he was in his right mind. Amen? Spend some time with Jesus. He gets you in your right mind. And they find out that Jesus is the guy that caused all these pigs to go into the off the cliff. So they're like, hey, you need to leave. And so he begins to leave. And the demon-possessed man comes to him and says, hey, I want to go with you. And what's Jesus say? No. Why? Is he ashamed of him? No. He's not ashamed of him at all. He's in his right mind now. Look what he says. Look what he says. He goes, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here's a guy that I used to hear yelping, insane, demon-possessed. And now he's talking about what? His story. Look what Jesus did for me. Look what God did for me. You think that didn't help the gospel? You think that didn't promote the good news in that town? Here's a guy who used to be a source of bad news is now a source of good news. If you want to be a source of good news at home, where you work, or, or, or in your community, in your world, in your life, oh, give your life to Christ. Give your life to God and spend some time with Him and He'll get you in your right mind. And your story will change. It turns into good news. And it spreads the good news. Look what else the Bible says here at this point. This is uh, Paul speaking again. Here's a guy who considered his life worth nothing unless he did tell his story. He says, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that all that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. He's saying, my story is helping spread the good news. What's happened to me? What, what kind of things? Shipwrecks, beatings, uh, being thrown in jail. All that stuff that was happening to him. He says it actually helped spread the good news. And look what else he tags on here in verse 13. All the Roman guards and all the others here know that I am in prison for serving Christ. How do they know that? They've heard his story. They know that he's about Jesus and not about himself. He is not... An insurrectionist. He is not re- living in rebellion to try to overthrow the Roman Empire. And that's what they're treating him like. No, he's there to serve God. He's serving Christ. Is it obvious what you're about? Is it all the Roman guards where you work know what you're about? All the others in your neighborhood, in your family, do they really know what you're about? That you're about serving Jesus? It helps spread the good news when you tell your story, when you live your story. The third thing is is that the reason I should share my story and I should be a good steward of it is because sharing my story encourages others. I'm listening to Ashley in the first service. I said, Ashley, come to the first service because it's a smaller crowd. You won't be so intimidated. I know this every Sunday. 
And I said, you know, and you can practice a little bit. I get a little practice that first run. And hopefully I'm a little better in the second one. <laughs> and so you'll, maybe that'll happen for you. And she's a little nervous. She gets there. And there's just a few in our first service there with our teachers, our Discovery Land teachers. And she shares. I didn't even know her story. She goes, oh, by the way, you asked me to print it up. And, and here it is. And I'm going, okay. And I'm getting ready to sit down. I don't even have a chance to read it. And here she comes. She walks out and goes, hi. And she introduces herself and starts telling her story. And everybody's leaning in. I was so encouraged. There's a person that's been, a, been with us a little over a year, and she's sharing her story with us. Now think about how many of us here have been here since uh, who knows how long. You know, you won't leave. We've tried driving you off several times. You won't get offended enough to leave. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I, how many of us here who have stories we don't share with our younger Christians? They could, they, if they heard them, how encouraged they would be. If they encourage us, wouldn't our stories encourage them? I want to challenge you, you've been a Christian a while to share your story. Don't hesitate to share your story with other Christians. It is so encouraging when you hear stories like this, when you hear the good old days. You go, wow, it was like that too? Yes, it was. And it was much more. Look at this passage here. This is Paul talking to a young preacher named Timothy. And you know this Some of you know this passage. You probably could quote it. Here's a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. He's talking about a story there, isn't he? But God had mercy on me so that Jesus, or the Christ Jesus' blood, or would use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then look what he says here. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You catch that? He's saying, God is using my story to encourage and inspire the people. Guys, you'd be amazed what a story can do from someone else. What your story could do from someone else. Let me show you an example from our last Olympics. Alex is a two-time gold medalist in this event. He won the gold medal in Sochi and in the Olympics before. And, he, and when he was asked about who inspires him the most, he says, well, when I'm trying to compete and learning how to compete, i got all these guys around me saying, you need to learn how to go faster, go higher, go bolder. He says, but when, in four years when you're training, what really helps me in the day in and day out is my brother. Because I look at him, and he just struggles to get out of bed. I look at him, he said one time, he goes, at, a, at a, an event, he said, I watched him get out of his chair and walk through, through the snow to get a closer look at me. And he said, it took him forever to do that. And I'm thinking, what a determined guy. And I have the right to complain about mine when he has all the rights to, and yet he chooses the best in life. He said, here's another thing he said about his brother. He goes, after my career is long and gone, my brother will still be there inspiring me. That's a story, see. That's the power of a story. You might say, well, you know, my power isn't, or my story isn't all that powerful. I am telling you, it is powerful to someone, and God wants to use it. Some of you here 
have got this idea in your head, oh, sharing my faith or sharing my story, nobody's going to listen. Not everybody's going to listen to it. You're right about that. But you're wrong if you think nobody will listen to it. Somebody will. You've got to break through this, this paradigm that says, I don't have to share it. God wants you to be a steward of this story. He wants you to share it with somebody. And it may be this week. Will you share it? Will you be a steward and manage the story God has given you the way He wants it managed? How do I get a good testimony? How do I have a good testimony? I want to I say again, I want to make it real clear. And maybe, I don't know if I make it clear enough sometimes. Having a good testimony is not determined whether you're successful or you fail. You can have a good testimony and not get a person persuaded to become a Christian. You can have a, a good testimony and fail trying to reach out to somebody. The Apostle Paul, do this sometime. Check, check me out and see if you don't notice this. In Acts 22, the Apostle Paul, in Acts 22, sometime look at it. He's telling his story again. And one of the things I thought was interesting was he's arguing with Jesus. I thought, first of all, what are you doing? You know, last time you butted heads, he knocked you down and struck you blind. <laughs> what are you doing? And it's over. Him, God's telling him, Jesus is saying, you need to get out of Dodge. You need to get out of Jerusalem because they're going to kill you. And he goes, but Lord, they all know the way I used to live. They know my story. And this, i got a good story now. And he goes, I don't care. Basically, he says, I don't care. Now is not the time. And so just because you might have a good story, it may not be effective at the moment. I would like to say this to you. Listen to the Holy Spirit this week. Listen to the Holy Spirit this year. And when the Holy Spirit nudges you to share why you go to Greater Alton or why you're a Christian, gladly start opening your mouth. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit may say, no, not right now. Don't assume, oh, it's all the time. It's not all the time. You know that. But when the Holy Spirit beckons you to call and pulls out of you a moment, use your story. Let God use your story. What makes a good testimony? What makes a good story? I've got three, three I think, things that I can do, you can do, that help improve our testimony and make it a good testimony. What are they? Well, the first one is, a good testimony comes from preparation. That's, I know that. Ashley prepared. I don't know if you've ever written your testimony out. I kind of like that. When people give testimony, they kind of write out what they're going to say. But sometimes we don't know how to, how to say it very well, and that's one of the reasons some of us don't say anything, because we're just not prepared. And if we prepare a little, we get a little more excited about our story. It's, it's amazing. I, I was going to tell, like I said earlier, a good story encourages. Can I tell you, when you share your story, when you start putting your story together, it'll encourage you too. You begin to see, man, God has been busy in my life. That's kind of cool, isn't it? So what, what kind of preparation are we talking about? Well, look at this passage here. I think i got a passage, yeah. Again, here's Paul talking to the church at Colossae. And this church was a very small church. A very small church. Smaller than us. Look at he, look what he says here. I, I, why do I emphasize that? Because I think we think, well, a big church, you know, we don't have any trouble sharing our faith. We have trouble sharing our faith here at Greater Alton. 
And he tells a small church, size don't matter here. He says, look, be pleasant and hold their interest when you speak the message. Choose your words carefully and be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. I notice he's saying, choose, choose your attitude, be pleasant. I think First Peter even says that, say it gently. When we're presenting the gospel, when we're talking about the Lord, when we're talking about what he's done for our lives, be pleasant. Choose your words, he says, carefully. There are some words that I just don't use. You probably would prefer me to. I, they're not in my vocabulary, okay? But I, I have to learn that when I'm with younger people, I may have to change my vocabulary some, all right? But I, I don't want to change anybody's vocabulary, so to speak. I want you to be able to, in your own words, put what God has done in your life. You're speaking, you guys are speaking to your generation. And you guys, you're speaking to your generation. I noticed the age change. Young to out there. I'm not going to say any more. It's different. Some of you are city people, or we call in the, in the farming community, counties. And some of you are from the farm. You're from Hickville. And you know, it's, you, you choose your words wisely. You prepare. And it may mean changing some vocabulary occasionally. But you choose. You work on this story. You, I think Ashley's got a good start in writing it down. And you're gonna, after you write it down, you begin to hone it. Begin to work with it. You don't try to embellish it. Oh, i got to make sure I hold their interest, so I'm going to have this Cobra helicopter coming in from nowhere. No, that didn't happen. Well, I'm going to have this voice. That didn't happen. But I'll tell you, if, you, if you're going to go up there unprepared, you will lose the interest of people. Prepare. Be prepared. Now, we've talked about this last August, and we talked about it several years ago, and I use the acronym BEST, having the best testimony. What make, ensures a good testimony is following this, and we're going to breeze to this first point, okay? Well, what are you talking about, Tim? Well, take the acronym BEST. B is before, E is events, S is salvation, T is today. Let's talk about B first, before. What am I talking about when I'm talking about before? I'm talking about how it was before I became a Christian. What was my life like before I became a Christian? Now, when the Apostle Paul shared his story to King Agrippa in three minutes, one of the things I noticed is he talks about his past. Why? Why would you talk about your past? Well, I think it does two things. First, it gives you credibility. You say, I would think it wouldn't give me credibility. Oh, believe me. When a Christian is honest with their past, People, they actually are surprised by it and admire that because a lot of Christians are snooty and (coughs) self-righteous. You follow me? Like, we have nothing to do with the world anymore. Really? Really? Liar? Did you just call me a liar? Yeah, because it's the truth. We still have struggles with the world. We still connected with the world. And the world knows this. It's when we try to act like we're not and try to act like we're better than them. That's called hypocrisy. And that's one of the things that turns people off in this world more than anything about Christians. is hypocrisy. Not inconsistency. Inconsistency. I, I, I can't do this very long and very well. The world would love to hear Christians say that. Rather than acting like they never have a problem in the world. Like all your problems are solved. So you talk about 
You talk about your life, what it was like before. You're honest with it. You, and, one of the, and, and look what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, the Jews, he says here in Acts 26, up on the screen, in Acts 26, he says, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a childhood. He says, everybody knows how I was since I was a kid. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, because a lot of people where I'm from, from Tarsus and in this city, remember little Paul. When he grew up, a little snot-nosed Jewish kid, and worked his way up the ranks to becoming a Pharisee. They all know the kind of things I did. The trouble I got in, the good things I've done, and they also know what I've been up to lately. I know a lot of us here like to think we're low-profile people, but you're really not. You're, you're, you've got a high profile somewhere on the planet. Your home, your work, your campus, somebody's watching you. Somebody's deciding what they're going to do with God while they watch you decide what you're going to do with God. And Paul says, everybody knows what I'm like, and he brings up his past. In fact, look at verses 9 through 11 up on the screen. He says, I too was convinced, I underlined on a purpose. He's saying, there was a time I was convinced, past tense, past tense, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Was Paul right or wrong? Wrong, that's right. And that's because that's what I just, that's exactly what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He's saying, I was there, and I threw the first stone. I'm the one that started the whole thing off. And then he says, many a time, not every once in a while, many times, he says, I went from a synagogue to, another, to one another and had them punished and tried to force them to blast me. Then he says, in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute. He says, I'm just being honest with you. Everybody knows how I was. And I was obsessed with something. And I was out of line. I was wrong. I was opposing Jesus. And I, I was so obsessed with it, I killed people over it. I was awful. He's bringing up his past. Yes, he turns from the past and focuses toward Christ. But he uses his past for a purpose. Don't you know, church, God wants to use your past for a purpose. And when you begin to share your past with people, they find out, oh, you're like me. And that's what people need to know. Don't they? You establish credibility and connection when you share your past. You don't have to embellish it. Paul didn't exaggerate. When he said many times, he did many times. If he'd done it once, he'd have said once, I. He was honest about it. So there's a few questions I can answer. There's a lot of questions I'll, I think about when I'm thinking about how to share my story. That if I answer these, that will help my story, my testimony be good when it comes about, comes about the past here. For example, a few questions I can ask is, what did my life revolve around? This is just up on the screen here. What did my life revolve around? Where were my source of security? Was it money? Was it what people thought? Was it family? Where did I find my security? Where was I looking to find happiness? Was it in a relationship? Was it in pleasure? Was it in parties? Was it in possessions? And then ask, how did these things let me down? That's, that's what you do when you share the past. The second thing is E, stands for events. After I talk about my past a little bit, I talk about the things that, the moments that led me to Christ. 
What were those moments? When did it happen? The Apostle Paul knew when it happened. Look what he says here in Acts 26. He says, on one of my journeys, he says, I was on one of my journeys going to Damascus. Happening on a trip. I had the authority and, and commission of the chief priest. He knows down the time. Can you believe this? About noon, I ran into this guy with cowboy boots. Is that what he says? That's what Ashley said. I ran, I ran into this guy who was really excited. You hear him walking a mile away. Ka-clop, ka-clop, ka-clop. He's loud, obnoxious, but I kind of like it. He says, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I can imagine him doing that, changing his voice. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? You know, I noticed here, he said, why do you persecute me, Paul? Isn't it hard for you to kick against, what is a goad? It's a stick with a point on the end of it. And before pig shockers and cow shockers, they use these to make you move. Poke you. Cheyenne come up to me before church, and she had her finger. She goes, I'm going to poke you. And I go, no, no, don't poke me. I'm tickling. Boom, boom. And she pokes me, and I go, I move. And she could have done that and moved me anywhere in this place. He says, well, he says is it hard for you to kick? Isn't it hard to kick? Against this goad? And the answer is, yeah. Paul said, I can remember a painful time. I can remember a painful time, a painful moment that God was trying to get, a, get my attention. Maybe it was an auto accident. Maybe it was a funeral. Someone dying that we were close to. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was something tragic like a bankruptcy or a divorce. I remember my brother, when he called me up, and he calls me and says, Tim, I need to talk to you. And I go, well, what's going on? He goes, I'm going through a divorce. What am I going to do? Here was my moment. He's kicking against the goad. He's feeling the goad of God. Pay attention, Danny. Pay attention. Do you see what's going on? Ouch. Ouch. God, you, and what, what happens? I said to him, are you tired of this? Not even thinking about this passage. Are you tired of this? He goes, I am sick and tired of this. Well, then let's get out. Let's get out of this. Let Jesus Christ get you out of this. He sits right there as a Christian man. Praise God. Praise God. Has a Christian wife, Christian kids. His wife has cancer and she's outlived everybody that's told her she's supposed to be gone by now. Pain, blessing, God uses all that. And he says, Paul says, I heard Jesus say to me, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. I, I was confronted by a God moment. A God moment. You remember when that happened to you? I was at the county fair when that God moment happened to me. I know the longitude and the latitude of the exact spot I met this Christian that led me to Christ. I've stood there since then. The God moment happened there in the middle of southern Illinois at a tractor pull at the Edwards County Fair. Diesel smoke in the air. Carnies going, ah, right off. In the middle of all that, God moment. 
You, you know your God moment? When it, when it went down? I challenge you. I double dog date a longitude and latitude that thing and go stand there and thank your God for that place because it is truly holy. What was the events? What were the moments? I don't know about you guys, but that root beer kegger has sure been a moment for a lot of people. Sometimes it's trees in the trunk, or sometimes it's just a, a crazy, crazy party or a trip we go on, and somebody says, that was my God moment. I realized something. Share that. Talk about that. S stands for salvation. Salvation. The Apostle Paul, what's he talks about? What, does he, what do you talk about there? I talk about what I did to be saved. If you were pulled out of a river and you were drowning and someone says, how are you saved? Would you miss any? Would you say, oh, I had to come right out of the water? Or would you go, that lifeguard named Bill come running out to me and he had this, you know, just like, you know, in slow motion, all of his teeth were there, and he get jumps into water, and he pulls me. What do you? No, you pull. He pulls me out, and he gives me. I heard he gave me CPR and, and gave me mouth to mouth, and I'm alive, and I made it. It happened right here with this person, and this is how they did it. And when you give your story, you talk about that. You talk about what was the things I did. What happened when I got saved? What, what we talk about the people. And the studies that we were in. And how simple it was. I'm talking about the idea of sitting down with somebody. And how really disarming it is. And it's not all that scary. Yeah, making a commitment to Christ is. But man, you know, we can, we can do that. Remember when they asked you to study with you? Can we get together sometime to study the Bible? And you went, sure, sometime. How about tomorrow? How about now? What? I thought it was any time. Well, no time. Like, right now. Why would they do that? I care about you. That's why. I talk about what I did to be saved. Look what Apostle Paul says here in Acts 26. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. He's talking. He says, King Agrippa, when I became a Christian, what happened was, here's the way I used to be. Here's on my journey. This happened. This is what was happening around noon. And this is what was said to me. And Jesus started showing me his will, God's will for my life. In fact, he says in verse 13, I wasn't disobedient. He says that in the next verse there. I wasn't disobedient to that vision. What's he saying? I obeyed something. I did what he said. And he explains it to King Agrippa. Back in Acts 22, when Paul shared this story before, look what he says there. He said, he's, having a, he's, he's, in, he's in this part of the story where he's talking about after the past, after the events. Now he's talking about what he did to be saved. He says, what shall I do, Lord? You know, you don't see that question very often in the Bible, but when you do, you ought to pay attention to what follows. What shall I do, Lord? He goes, I asked, get up, the Lord said, and go to, into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. 
He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. I want you to see something. It's important you know this this morning. God has chosen you too. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to see Jesus Christ in a real way. He wants you to hear words from his mouth. And then he says, you'll be his witness. And he wants you to be a witness. And what do witnesses do? They testify what they experienced. Of what you've seen and heard. And then he says, so what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. He's saying, hey, let's get it started. Let's get started right now. Get up, get baptized, and wash those sins away. He talked about the people, he talked about his studies, and he talked about his baptism. Today is tea. Today. I talk about how it's different today. You know, guys, if we would just look back and maybe we would, I would hope you'd see difference. How much your life has changed. I know when I look at my story, I, I can't believe all the things that God has been up to. And when you look at your story, you're going to see. Sometimes just a look at your own story is so encouraging. It'll help you see. God has been working in my life. Wow. He's not done. And so Paul talks about what his life, his life is like today. He talks about the changes in his life today. How it's different than before. Look at this verse here, 22 through 23. But I've had God's help to this very day. He says, you know, all this happened to me, but I have God's help now. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. He says, I'm able to stand. I'm not gone. I'm able to still be here because God has helped me this very day. I'm, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. And then he talks about the good news, that the Christ would suffer that, look at her, suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. He says, this is what's happened to me. Here how, how different it is today. And let me tell you why it's different. The story is not, not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. You've got to remember that. It always is about the Lord. What's the second element of a good testimony? Well, besides this first element of being prepared, the second one is, is, is a good testimony is supported by a good example. I know of nothing that ruins your testimony, my story, your story, like a bad example. I don't know of anything that ruins that more. You're telling a story, you're, telling, you're giving a view about something. You have anybody do this? You're like, Here's the way you ought to invest your money. And they are messed up. Don't you look at them and go, I'm not listening to you. Now, now by the way, I mean, I've got a disclaimer. If they say, listen, I've made so many mistakes. 
Let me tell you what not to do. They've taken their bad example and made it a good one. You see that? Someone says, you know, let me tell you, you're not eating right. And let me tell you how to eat right. And you see them wolfing down the Big Macs on a daily basis? I don't think that's going to work. But if they were to say, you know, I've been wolfing down the Big Macs a long time, and I'm going to tell you, that's bad for you. And let me tell you why you should eat carrots. Hey, that works. You're being a good example. And again, I, I want to make it clear to you how it's so important that our walk somehow emulates or is connected to our talk. Look at this. Look what Paul tells a couple of young preachers, young preacher boys. He says, and you, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. He's saying, what you do, make sure it's good and that it reflects what you say. Look what Paul says to Timothy. Keep a close watch. We can go with this passage. Watch your life and closely. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I picked new living, so I couldn't go. Blah, 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 blah. Keep a close watch on how you live and, and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. What's he saying? He's saying, my testimony, I give my testimony with my lips and my life. They both matter. And they need to match as much as possible. You say, what do you mean, Tim? Why would you say it like that? Because none of us are perfect. Anybody want to? Thank you, Mike. Anybody agree with that besides Mike? I mean, none of us are perfect. And, and the world is turned off. By the way, the, the world, if, if you were perfect, if somebody here, you say, well, I think I'm perfect. Oh, my, get out of here. You're messing with my church. You're messing with me. Nobody can identify with a perfect person. As I know this, only Jesus Christ, who was perfect, had to come down as a human being as much as possible so we could relate to him. And he was perfect. But you and I aren't perfect. And by the way, I don't believe the world expects you and I to be perfect. I think that somehow we've given them that expectation by being so smug and self-righteous. And it's time we take that expectation back and give them a more realistic expectation. That it's not that we're not, we're not yes, we're not perfect. We're just inconsistent. I've had people say, Maybe you've had this said about you. I've had people say this about me. Well, Tim hasn't cha- isn't changing because he, ha- he, he hasn't repented. I don't know. I've been trying to repent of stuff that's been in my life for years. I saw, I've found that I have to take a stab at it on many occasions, Alan. Have you ever said about me? <laughs> okay. you know, I, I have found that I, I can't, uh, you know, repent and be baptized. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? That's what it says in Acts 2. So I repent and I'm baptized, therefore I don't have to repent anymore. Really? Oh my gosh. What did I decide to do? I decided to, to, to try to change this as I learn. That I'm not perfect when I come out of the water. Oh, I made, my sins may be washed away. I've said that for years. 
But those habits, they take a lot more scrubbing. They take a little more scrubbing over time. And so I find myself having to repent of being a rude husband all a lot. I find myself having to repent of worrying oh, a lot, a lot. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? What am I talking about? Uh, oh, I quit. I quit worrying. You did? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem. Really? Really? I think you have a problem with lying. You may have to work on that one. No, we get, the world needs to know, and we can help the world understand, Christians aren't perfect. We are just forgiven. We're inconsistent. And if we just be honest about that, what a testimony we would give. Why? Because they could, that would give them hope that they could, they could follow Christ. It's not about how good you are, folks. It's about how good God is, right? It's always about that. And yet, the example that I said is not a perfect one. It's an example of not perfection, but an example of a process of me becoming like Christ as I walk and fall and get up and walk and fall and get up and walk and fall and get up. And, yeah. Yeah. Look at First Peter here on your notes. It says, but keep the Lord Christ holy in your hearts. How many of you are able to do that? Anybody here able to do that? I, I, I have to constantly get Christ back into my heart and, as holy. It seems like he's, he isn't, he's leaving. I think I'm bumping him out. You know what I'm saying? I'm, 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 I nudge him out of the way at times. He says, so he says, keep the Lord. He goes, he knows it's hard to do. Keep the Lord Jesus holy in your hearts. Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. I love this. But answer them with a gentle way, with respect. Anybody here? Gentle? I wasn't going to say all the time. I just want to know, are you gentle at all? <laughs> There's times I find myself not very gentle at all. But the, ver- the, 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 the phrase that pops out at me and slaps me in the face is, keep your conscience clear. How do I do that? What's that mean? How do I keep my conscience clear? You ever been bothered by your conscience? You remember as a little kid, maybe you took something from the store and the candy bar didn't taste very good because your conscience wouldn't allow it? I had no problem, Tim. Tasted great to me. Hard heart. But the conscience... Sometimes the conscience, it's the butterflies. It's that weird feeling you get, that guilt, that unsettledness. You're like, oh. And some of us, we live with it all the time. The Bible says, have a clear conscience. How? Oh, when you trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord more and more. If there's anything we're learning in the last couple of years, guys, around here at Greater Alton, is we just don't trust the Lord. It's not about trust. We, it, it, we trust ourselves. We trust our church's reputation. But we're not trusting the Lord. 
And I think it has a big impact on our conscience. When I trust the mercy and the grace of God and go, you know what? I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. He supplies everything I need. So I know I'm going to be okay. And so that clear conscience turns into a confident conscience. And when I'm clearing my conscience, say, and it, by the way, anything that would make my conscience feel uneasy is going to be sinful or could be sinful. I'll say it that way. Could be. Because you may have to have some teaching. What are you doing? I'm just feeling bad about that. Why? But whenever my conscience isn't clear, that's when my example goes. <laughs> he says, tell your story. Keep a clear conscience. Keep yourselves right with God. Then people will what? See the good way you live. Perfect way? Does it say perfect way you live? No, it says the good way. Praise God it says that, huh? This is the good way. As followers of Christ. And those who say bad things about you will be ashamed of what they said. Set an example. This week, I want to encourage you. Set a good example. Don't try, you know, you should, I'm going to try, try to be a perfect person. You're not going to make it. Set a good example. I'm not trying to say be lax in it. Set a good example. Be a man and a woman of God. And it will give your testimony legs. It will give your testimony credibility. Be a good example of the process that God uses to change people. Number three is a good testimony gives God the credit. I've heard testimonies before. It sounded like the person was really about themselves and not about what God had done. And a good testimony is pointing to God, giving God the credit. You know, guys, I told the first service that sometimes I've, I've, heard, I've listened to testimonies or listened to me tell my story, and it almost sounds like I did it. Not God. And maybe that's what happened. It wasn't God at all. It was just me grunting through it. You want a good testimony? Give God the credit. It's not your story is not about you, it's about him. His story. Making his story your story. Look at this passage here. As we're narrowing this, we're getting down to the close of this lesson. He says, look what Paul says. I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here to testify to the small and great alike. He's, I found out when I read Acts 26, Paul mentions God eight times. He wants to make it clear to King Agrippa. And to those listening, it is God's goodness, not His. It is God's power, not His, that can change things. When you give your story, make sure that you're giving God the credit, giving Him the praise. You know, our small group is getting together at my house at 2 o'clock today, and we're going to be praising God. What do you want to praise? What do you want to give God credit for? And I hope those of you who are going to be there to listen clearly, think about it. What is God getting credit for? You're going to get an opportunity to do that today. I love this psalm, Psalm 66. And one of the things that I found fascinating, Bob, was that 
that in Psalm 66, oh, isn't there that, is it verse 18 that says, if I'd cherished sin in my heart, you wouldn't have listened? I never, I've been so focused on 18, I never noticed verse 16. <laughs> isn't that awesome? All who fear God, come and listen. And I'll tell you what he's done for me. And I pray this, this morning that you can say that this week to your coworker, to your family member, to whoever you run into. Say, you know what? If you listen to me, I'm going to tell you what God has done for me. Not me. Not my stuff. His stuff. Because it all belongs to Him. And I'm just a steward of what He owns.